Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. What's Wagner's rule of life number four? Nothing good happens outside a strip club at 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm sorry, I understand I might be like a dog with a bone on this, but this is just fundamentally wrong. It is an insult, but let's tee this up. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. I'm sorry, I think this is absolutely... Absolutely ridiculous. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Eric Bilstedt, you said Charles Van Doren passed away? Yes. Um, for people who... Did you ever see the movie Quiz Show? It's an interesting movie. It's, a, it's, a good it's one. an outstanding movie. And it's it's sort of a fictionalized version mm-hmm. of, of the Quiz Show scandals. But it's I, I highly recommend it. Yeah, back... Back at the the dawn of television, I mean, that was a lot of their programming. It was these quiz shows, and what they found is that, gee, heaven forbid... Reality TV sometimes isn't reality TV. You know, I mean, that was that that, that was the uh-huh. whole the basic premise. You had these quiz shows, and what the producers would do is these these game shows were rigged. They'd find, I, I don't know, they'd find certain types that they thought would appeal to the, the general public, and what they do is they'd funnel them answers, mm-hmm. and you know, and so you'd win a few, and then okay, then you'd end up losing. It was kind of it was sort of like professional wrestling in a way. You know, the results were predetermined, yeah. but it was a simpler time, and people were were just shocked to find out that the producers would do that, and some people went to jail. But Charles Van Doren was the the son of a I, I don't want to say Harvard or Yale professor or something like that, and you know, he came from this family of academics, and he got involved in the thing too. So it was good looking guy, and they. They thought right. he was the right one to work. Right, exactly. But, I mean, other people did it, too. I mean, yeah, he wasn't yeah. the only one. Matter of fact, the guy that he ended up beating, well, that that was the champion before that, he, he was cheating, too. I mean, they just, the producers, again, it, it was it's like professional wrestling where they would, the results were predetermined. they just say, okay, well, this is the guy we want to have this week. And then they'd watch the ratings. Oh, the public's bored with seeing Jeff, so let's have Eric beat him, you know. And, and it, it was just this thing it but it, it's kind of like the quote-unquote reality tv now i mean do you does anybody seriously think that i don't know all the stuff that goes on on the bachelor or the bachelorette isn't scripted you know <laughs> yeah well yeah. it even says in the credits written by yeah it, well exactly i mean it, it's sort of but that was a simpler time and i mean i i mean it's <laughs> the, the whole idea of reality tv no you just kind of you kind of plot this all out but in any event if you're looking for like a quick um reminder of the quiz show scandals i do highly recommend the movie quiz show i think it's kind of entertaining and again it's a fictionalized version of it they take some liberties with the facts but it's a a good introduction hey speaking of facts the marquette university law school poll is due out in about 10 minutes or so i'll give you the highlights because it's not an election year what they do is they poll on issues, and I find that to be a lot less reliable, candidly, than than the, the numbers. But I'm sure they'll do um, a poll on – I'm sure they will include questions about President Trump's approval rating and probably the approval rating for some Democrat candidates as well that, if you believe the poll results, might give us an indication of – where people stand in Wisconsin. My guess is Bernie Sanders would be ahead, but that is just my guess. All right. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. I go where angels fear to tread. I am a huge baseball fan. Right, Gru, who's producing the show? You know, I'm a huge baseball fan, right? Oh, yeah. I, 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 have, I have partial season tickets, 
20 game package and I go to a whole bunch more games beyond that. I listen to the baseball games on the radio. I stay up late at night and watch the games. And and let me just kind of back in. Well, let me get to what my question is going to be. The Brewers are eight and four. They are in first place in their division by a game and a half. They've lost two games in a row and on their West Coast road trip. That that's not a reason to panic. Don't get me wrong. You know, lots of teams go out to the West Coast and they don't perform well. So that that's it's it. The season is is early. At the same time, in the last five games, on three separate occasions, the pitching staff has surrendered more than ten runs. More than 10 runs three times out of the last five games. When you see a pattern like that or you see stuff like that happening, it's not unfair to liken a pitching staff to a dumpster fire. Now, I understand you know, the Chicago Cubs, they've got problems as well. They're, they're giving up these big runs as well. But last year... The Brewers did very, very well by having kind of a shutout bullpen. You know, they could get five innings or so out of their starters, and then they had this rotation highlighted by Josh Hader. But they, you, know, you had Jeremy Jeffress. You had Corey Knable. You had somebody else that would cover the sixth inning. And everybody was able to step up. This year, Knable's gone for the year. Jeffress is on the disabled list. They say he might come back, but um, they expect it back in a week or so. But, you know, he's got some shoulder issues. Hater is Hater, which is an incredible ball player. And everybody else, well, you know, you kind of watch some of these pitchers that come out, and you're thinking if you're in the left field stands, you better be wearing a hard hat because the balls are going to be flying out of the stadium. So the Green Bay Packers, I think, had a huge opportunity to be a football dynasty. Dynasties are, are rare. It The window to win titles, whether it's NBA championships or World Series or Super Bowls or whatever, is narrow. It opens up and then it closes really, really quickly. Look what's going on in Chicago. The Cubs won in 2016, and you know they're, they're, they didn't get back. They didn't win the World Series again, and they're, they appear to be on, on the downward slide. I think after the 2010 Super Bowl, the Packers had the opportunity to at least string together more Super Bowl appearances, but they didn't. And I believe it's because their defense was a dumpster fire. And who you blame, whether it's Ted Thompson or Mike McCarthy or Dom Capers, the defensive coordinator or, you know, whatever, they, they never, they weren't able to get back. And I think it's because that, you know, they just, they didn't appreciate how bad their defense was and so you squandered a lot of these years where you had this primo talent the brewers i firmly believe this have the window has opened for them to not only get to but to win the world series you look at this lineup you've got lorenzo kane you've got ryan braun you've got christian yelich who might be the best ball player in baseball you've got you know they made some deals this year you've got the catcher you know grundell who's you know here for one year signed a one-year deal they brought back mike moustakis for a one-year deal the lineup is absolutely loaded absolutely loaded but you have significant concerns about the pitching staff. 414-799-1620. All right, given the fact that the window is narrow, is this the Brewers' year, and do people need to step up? Does management need to say, hey, look, what we've got now, based on what we've seen in the first 12 games, yeah, we're winning games, but you know, we're beating the Cubs 13-10. to 10. You're not going to get to the World Series winning games 13-10. to 10. That's just not going to do it. All right. 
do the Brewers are is it too early to I'm not saying panic. They're eight and four. All right. They're eight and four. They're in first place. But is it too early to be concerned and maybe say, hey, we've got some issues here? 414-799-1620. Let's start with uh, Jenny in Butler. Jenny, you're first. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Um, okay, I live in Wisconsin, but I am a diehard born and bred Cubs fan. I grew up two and a half miles west of Rick's <laughs> Actually worked for them for two seasons. Loved every moment of it. Um, and I'm engaged to a Cardinals fan, so tell me where my loyalties lie. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> like I told your screener, welcome to the big leagues. You have a great, amazing season last year. I give it to the Brewers. They gave every team a run for the money, but every team has their ups and downs. I mean, you can't play the Cubs all the time, just like we can't play the Pirates all the time because we just beat up on them on our opening day 10 nothing. Right. Um, your pitching staff is going to go, I mean, look at you, Darvish. I mean, yeah. uh, we got nailed with that one, and he, right now he's sitting at an 8 ERA, yep. an over 8 ERA. Every pitcher goes through this. Every team goes through this. Enjoy the ride. I mean, I've got friends that are just like, I mean, everybody at my work are diehard and I give it to them, okay? But, but let's look at this, Jenny. I mean, I'm glad as a Cubs fan. I mean, the Cubs knew they had a window of opportunity. They went all in, and they ended up winning the World Series in 2016 and ending the Correct. big drought, and everybody's excited about that. And now it's tough to get back. The Brewers haven't won the World Series yet. Is this the year to say, okay, we got to go all in and we've got to hopefully not get the Hugh Darvish guy? That's the problem. That's the problem. You go out and you sign Dallas Keuchel and maybe he turns out to be Hugh Darvish and then you're stuck. Exactly. Or, or, you, or you get a pitcher uh, that is sitting on free agency currently that comes in and just obliterates every single team that you, that right. you face. But you, uh, you have to... You have to take both sides of the point. You're going to see the good. You're going to see the bad. But you just have to weigh the options. No, I know, I know. Thanks. No, I, I understand. And, I, and look, and I, I get it. I mean, and you look, I mean, Mark Atanasio, since he's owned the Brewers, he's, I mean, he's shown a willingness to go all in. Remember the, remember the trade they made that brought CC Sabathia back? What was that? 2008. And Sabathia put a significantly less talented team than the Brewers have now on his back and got him to the playoffs. You had the same thing with the, um, the Zach Ranky thing a couple years after that. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, my only point is, and this is from the perspective of somebody who's watching these games and watching, well, the starting pitching last night, but also watching the bullpen just get torched, you know, because you can't pitch hater every night. And it's kind of like, oh, my goodness, this should be the year for the Brewers. Mike and Franklin. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Great topic today. Totally agree with you. Um, I said it after that Cubs loss last weekend, which would have been our second loss of the year. Now we have four, I believe. Right. Um, yeah, there's one hole there. It's their bullpen. And, you know, we didn't realize Knabel was going to be done until I think, you know, the second day of the regular season was when he announced that. Right. And then we're waiting on Jeffress. But, you know, I don't know. You know, I don't really necessarily know what the solution is either is because this Peralta guy, okay, he's going to be great. But let's not forget he's only 21 or 22 years mm-hmm. old. Yeah. And to be a starter – you're getting at that age. You just don't have the experience yet. And I, but I, you know, I 
I guess I definitely just wanted to chime in and agree with you. Yeah. I'm concerned, very concerned, and I was after that 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 first loss to the Cubs. Right. I mean, no, and, and again, you. I mean, thanks. For, look, and I understand teams go through bad bad stretches, and I'm not. I believe I'm not jumping off the bandwagon. I'm I'm this guy that's on the bandwagon. I'm I'm committed, but I look at this team and I think, man, th- th- this is this window. You've got this small market franchise in Milwaukee that's going to draw three million or close to three million people this year, and and you've got this opportunity, and you've got this great lineup, and you've got relievers, you know. And I mean, I understand there's some problems with the starting pitching. But you know, you, with, with with the exception of uh, again, you know, maybe, maybe you know, maybe one or two players, you know, you, you bring out some of these guys and you give them the ball, and you know that you know that they're going to be surrendering a bunch of runs. You know, it, do the Brewers need to get going sooner and say, look, what we have right now, this isn't the same bullpen, for example, it's not the same pitching staff that we had last year, and, and maybe maybe we got to spend some stupid money because this is the opportunity to get back into the playoffs. We continue the conversation in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Glad to have you with us. Look, I'm, I'm not jumping off the bandwagon. I, matter of fact, I, I, I want to ride that bandwagon even more. And the Brewers have a great start. They're 8-4, and four, but... But the flaw, the problem, obviously, is pitching. And, you know, that has been exposed lately. I mean, California scores more than 10 runs. The Cubs, now they won. The Brewers ended up winning one of those games. They've given up more than 10 runs in three of the last five games. And I don't know. It doesn't necessarily appear to be an aberration. Last night, I'm watching them. You bring in these relievers. They can't throw strikes. They're walking people all over. And then, you know, it just it one thing leads to another. You don't make the World Series by winning games 13 to 10. And this is the year I firmly believe that the Brewers have the chance to make the World Series. I know it's early, but how much trouble are they in? Let's talk to Mike in Milwaukee. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, the 1980s when they uh, actually, I think it was during the season when they traded for uh, Reggie Jackson. Not Reggie Jackson. Uh, forget the pitcher's name with the handlebar. Don mustache. Sutton. Well, you have Raleigh Fingers and then Don well, Sutton. They brought him over too. And Sal Bando, like four guys, and that that put the whole team. I mean, we had a young crew. They bought some old timers in, and it just they gelled. The chemistry was all there, and it took it to the top. So uh, hopefully, they'll be looking always shopping around. Yeah. And uh, do something. To, I am my concerns, too. Yeah. You're going to have a great team, but uh, you got to have the defense. you got to have the pitching. Well, right. Exactly. I mean, see, and I, it's – look, I, I mean, I – I, I listen to all like the national sports talk radio and stuff during the off season, and that's what all these people said. Oh, you know the the Brewers. The reason that people weren't willing to jump on the bandwagon is they had concerns about the pitching staff. Everybody agreed it was going to be a monster lineup, and it's turned out to be a monster lineup. And 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 maybe maybe the pitching staff is going to come around. But as somebody who's been listening, I mean, there there is okay. You've got a twelve game sample. That's not a huge sample. I I get it, but you're seeing. You're, you're seeing whenever it's not Josh Hader, I mean, is there anybody that you trust that's going to be able to finish games? And, you know, maybe Jeffress is going to come back and maybe he's going to be as good as he was last year. But I don't know. you got some problems with his arm. I just think you don't want to be pushing the panic button. But at the same time, 
you don't want to let this fester because, again, there's a narrow, narrow window. And I think for the Brewers this year, with fan expectations, yeah, making the playoffs would be cool. But this is not a team that you want to just try to make the playoffs on. This is a team that has a legitimate chance to win the World Series, just like I think the Bucks have a legitimate chance to win the NBA title. Look at what the Bucks did this year, you know, when it was – looking like they just had a team that had that chance. Look at some of the additions that they made during the year. They kept making the roster better, and you'd hate to see the Brewers just kind of drift around um, saying, okay, well, maybe we're satisfied with what we have if what you have isn't good enough. Let's talk to, um, let's see, let's talk to Adam in Watertown. Adam, you're in WTMJ. Hi, how's it going? Real well, thank um, you. What do you think? I think uh, we're 12 games in. I, I don't think we need to worry quite yet. I mean, the, the high-scoring losses are, are kind of worrisome, but with uh, with Jeffers coming back, and then uh, I think they said that uh, uh, Jimmy Nelson will be back in about three or four weeks. Then mm-hmm. we'll probably end up moving Burns or Peralta back into the uh, mm-hmm. bullpen, so that's going to help out a lot. But what I think is going to happen is if uh, we're doing good by the All-Star break, I think what we'll end up trading uh, Mauricio Dubon or uh, Kevin right. Pira, like we did for those years when we traded for Sabathia. Right, right, right. Go way after the go way after that that guy that's the stud that maybe can you know win right. things. Would you rather wait and do that than try to go after one of the guys that's still on the free agent market, the Kimbrels or the Dallas Keuchels or something like that? I don't think we're going to do the Kimbrel thing. I don't think it's a bad idea, but I don't think that that's what we need. We need someone in the rotation. Got it. I think our I think our bullpen is going to pull it together eventually, but I think Keiko wouldn't be a bad idea. But we do have the pieces in AAA to, to bolster our lineup. Okay, well, thanks for calling. Look, look from from your lips to God's ears, and and this isn't a down on the Bruins. This is actually the opposite. This is, and this is a good problem to have to have fans that are engaged. The worst problem that you can have as a baseball team is to have fans that go oh yeah we're we're we gave up 12 runs we gave up 13 runs yeah we suck who cares that that's that's not people care very very much about the brewers because i think a lot of us believe that this could be the year i'm just hoping management doesn't let it go by by saying what we've got is good enough if the truth of the matter objectively is it's not this is jeff wagner back for more here's wtmj's jeff wagner so very glad to have you with us. I was just going through my emails during the break. I had one guy text says, don't, 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 don't talk about sports. I, I don't want to hear anything about the Brewers. I, all I want to do is I want to hear political commentary. Well, I, that's not what this program is. It's kind of current events, and I think lots of people care very much about the Brewers, and you can agree or disagree with my take on it. But, yeah, we, we talk about sports, and we talk about pop culture events, and we talk about political commentary. Speaking of which... The Marquette University Law School poll, it's, they're, they're releasing the results now. Since it's not an election year, they, they tend to focus more on people's response to issues, which candidly, I, I think, I kind of question the accuracy of, of that. But they also do put a spotlight on, um, again, favorability numbers. And it, it's kind of interesting to compare things. For President Trump to be reelected, should he choose to run again next year? The reality is, just like the path to his election in November of 2016 was narrow, that is, everything had to fall the right way, the path to his re-election is narrow as well, because there's a lot of states he just has no chance of winning. That's just the reality. He's not going to win New York. 
He's not going to win California. He, he's got to, if you look at the electoral map, he's got to kind of do what he did last time. He's got to win Florida. He's got to win Pennsylvania. He's got to win Ohio. He's got to win Michigan. He's got to win Wisconsin. Our 10 electoral votes are, are a big deal if you look at the at the Trump roadmap. And so that's why it is worth paying attention to, you know, where President Trump stands. So here are the numbers according to the latest Marquette University Law School poll. They um, look at registered voters. 46% of registered voters in Wisconsin approve of his job performance. 52% disapprove. So he, he's underwater with that, but it is narrowing. When they asked that same question a couple months ago in January, the approval rating was 44%. Now it's up to 46%. That's sort of within the margin of error, I would guess. His disapproval numbers stay clear at 52%. That's, that's an issue because anytime politicians, and I don't care whether you're running for dog catcher or whether you're running for county sheriff or you're running for Senate or you're running for governor or you're running for president, anytime your your approval ratings are are south of, are underwater, south of 50%, you're you're at least vulnerable. And his numbers 46 job approval, 52% disapproval. Then they ask support for reelecting President Trump, and the, the numbers are, are pretty similar to where they were the last time they polled in January. Uh, let's see, 28% definitely say they'll vote for him, 14% probably would vote for him, that's 42%. 8% would probably vote for someone else and 46 would definite percent would definitely vote for someone else. So um if if you believe those numbers, you've got a 42% reelect and you've got 8% right now who is perhaps persuadable. You look at those numbers and if you believe them, once again they demonstrate that the the, the path to reelection in Wisconsin is going to be rocky. It's and I mean I don't see how he gets reelected unless you can win Wisconsin. So that's the question. Uh, let's see, and those numbers are are pretty much consistent and pretty much the same. So I, I think what you see out of this is it's not an impossibility, but what it is is it demonstrates that there, there's a lot of work that needs to be done and a lot of turnout that needs to to occur. And I would expect, if again, if President Trump decides to run again, you look at these numbers and you realize that Wisconsin is going to be a battleground. And right now it's kind of an uphill battle. But the truth of the matter is nobody saw this coming when he beat Hillary Clinton in Wisconsin in 2016. So you never know what would happen. Here is the, the problem that President Trump has in running for reelection in 2020. And it's the same problem that Hillary Clinton had in 2016. And here I will offend everybody, I guess. All right. Hillary Clinton in 2016 was a known commodity. And and it was it was really impossible to change people's views of Hillary Clinton. That was, in some respects, I think, the mistake that Democrats made in nominating her because she was a very, very polarizing force. And there's all sorts of people that absolutely loved her. And there's all sorts of people that absolutely hated her. But everybody had an opinion on her. And I think the 2016 election less than a referendum on Donald Trump. It was a referendum on Hillary Clinton. And ultimately, 
at least according to the Electoral College, don't talk about the popular vote with me, it, it was a referendum, and people said, we don't like Hillary Clinton, we don't want her to be the president. You, Hillary Clinton couldn't change people's minds. She was a part of you know the American scene, political scene, you know, going back to the 1990s. Everybody had an opinion, good or bad, of her, and, and it wasn't going to move. didn't matter how much political advertise, how much dough you spent on political advertising. People would see Hillary Clinton ad, and you'd al- always either say, oh, I just love her. She's going to be great, or you'd say, eh, I, I don't want her. The problem, and, and Trump was, to an extent, he was an unknown in 2016. Now, and by unknown, I mean he was he was the alternative to Hillary Clinton. You know, so, you know, maybe people liked him, maybe people didn't like him, but I think fewer people had definitive opinions on him, so they were willing to say, hey, I, I don't like Hillary Clinton, so I'm going to vote for the other guy. Well, the shoe is on the other foot now in 2020. Everybody has an opinion on Donald Trump. It, you know, that, trust me, if you do what I do for a living, everybody has an opinion on President Trump. Now, there are, you know, there's that. X percentage of the population that just absolutely loves him and thinks he can do no wrong. And whenever I criticize him, I hear from those folks. And then there's the other side that just thinks that he is essentially the Antichrist and he can do nothing right. And whenever I praise him, I hear from that side. So, I mean, I understand we're very tribal. People are dug in. But the problem that Donald Trump has in 2020 is like the problem Hillary Clinton had in 2016. I I don't know how you change people's minds. I, I just... I don't know how many people are persuadable that are out there. So that's the issue Trump has. The only exception to that, and that's why I think this whole Democrat nominating process is going to be interesting, is if the Democrats nominate someone way, way, way out of the mainstream, well, then it, it's 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 a different sort of thing. You know, I, I continue to believe that this is a center-driven country. Maybe it's a little bit center-right. Maybe it's moved a little and it's a little bit center-left. But, you know, you nominate a hardcore Democrat socialist out there who wants to essentially blow up the capitalist system. All right, well, well then maybe Trump becomes the superior alternative. Then you have a real interesting battle on your hands. You nominate somebody who's more to the middle, well, then it's kind of a different dynamic because then it becomes a referendum on Donald Trump, and I think that's perhaps a tougher battle for him to win. You nominate some kooky lefty, and believe me, there's a in this field of 18 to 20 people that are running so far on the Democrat side, there's a lot of really kooky lefties out there. There's some mainstream candidates, and then there's some really, really scary people there. Well, you nominate one of them, maybe then it becomes a referendum on whether we want to really blow up the American system. That plays into Trump's hands. But regardless... Wisconsin is going to be a battleground. It appears that it's going to be a slightly uphill battle for Donald Trump, but not something that's not doable. All right. When we come back, the election for Supreme Court has finally ended. The losing candidate has a theory as to why she lost. I'll share it with you and we'll discuss in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. All right. The state Supreme Court race was, of course, a a nail biter. Uh, You had the conservative candidate, Brian Hagedorn, who was the decided underdog in that race. He was grossly outspent. He was running against the liberal candidate, Lisa Neubauer. Both of them were judges on the Wisconsin Court of Appeals out of Waukesha. All the pundits 
Just like all the pundits thought that Hillary Clinton was going to win in Wisconsin, all the pundits, the entire chattering class, thought that Lisa Neubauer was going to win. She um, outspent Hagedorn big time. And you had a lot of the, the liberal groups that had, had come in, um, all sorts of negative advertising, a really vicious and I think misleading campaign against Judge Hagedorn, you know, talking about how he was, you know, going to be biased and he was a hater and he was involved with all these hate groups and things like that. Just this sort of vicious attack. Now, it did scare off some traditional Republican groups, but, you know, to his credit, Judge Hagedorn, instead of just kind of curling up in a ball and apologize, oh, this is so terrible, he said, no, look, I, I'm I'm going to stand up, and I, I think this is an attack on people of faith. And he, he said, look, I, I my religion has certain views on things like you know gay marriage and stuff like that. That doesn't affect how I'm going to rule as a judge. But you know what? I'm not going to apologize for this. And I, I think it ended up resonating. One of the things that I saw happening in the last week was there, there must have, this is just my take on this, there must have been some internal polling showing that the, the race wasn't as decided as a lot of people thought it was because then you had some conservative groups that started to come in and they started they dumped a whole bunch of money at the end but still Hagedorn was outspent and maybe significantly outspent and very very close election he wins by around 6,000 votes there's been this conversation saying okay well maybe we're going to have a recall you know a recount um, the, the problem is it, it, the 6,000 votes it is not close enough that you get a free recount. So to do a recount, the person demanding the recount would have to pay for it. Guess is it would probably be about $500,000. And the truth of the matter is, with a margin of 6,000 votes, a recount's not going to change anything. Statistically, I think the most you could possibly hope to change, unless you find, again, a whole bunch of bags of unopened ballots stuck somewhere in, in Dane County, the most you could have expected to change was a hundred votes, two hundred votes, one way or the other. It's just not going to change mathematically. And it historically, when you've had recounts before, you, you've never seen more than a hundred or two hundred votes swing one way or the other. So this was always kind of a done deal. Judge Newbauer, though, I mean, and it's her right. You know, she she held off saying whether or not she was going to you know call for a recount today. She announced that, yes, she was conceding the race. She acknowledged it was about a 6,000-vote margin and wasn't going to ask for the recount. Um, here's what she said, though, that I, I thought was was interesting, and this is the way the Journal Sentinel describes it. She credits her loss to the more than $1 million spent in advertising on behalf of Judge Hagedorn in the last days of the campaign. She says, quote, this wasn't about our qualifications or, frankly, even the job of a Supreme Court justice, she said about the advertising. It's hard not to imagine that the spending made the difference. All right. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What is it that they say? about people who live in glass houses. I mean, for the vast majority of this campaign, you saw Judge Hagedorn being grossly outspent by liberal special interest groups, grossly outspent. You saw one attack after another talking about how he was affiliated with hate groups and hate this and hate that or whatever, grossly outspent. Now, it is true at the end, because like I say, I think some groups saw that this race was closer maybe than the, the, the pundits thought, 
yes, there, there was late money that came in to kind of, I, I don't know whether it's rehabilitate his image or, or whatever, but, but was it the ad spending or was it something different? 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I will tell you, and I said this after the election, my theory was and is that I think the anti-Hagedorn forces went way, way, way overboard in labeling him as a hater. And I think what happened is you had a lot of grassroots voters that just got hacked off at this. You got a lot of conservative voters. You had a lot of people of faith who just didn't like the tone and temper of these negative ads. I think also what happened is Neubauer figured that she was going to win big time, and she kind of took her foot off the gas like Hillary Clinton didn't even bother to come to Wisconsin. And you put the two of those together. You start running a campaign like it's a coronation, but but the idea that, oh, it was this big spending at the end. You know, give me a break. 414-799-1620. This was a, a ground attack, but I think in many respects it was brought, along, brought about by a, a blowback from – the sleazy attacks that groups ran against Judge Hagedorn. Let's talk to Scott and Racine. Scott, you're on WTMJ. Um, good afternoon, Jeff. Um, my take is that from a qualification standpoint, Newbar was by far the more qualified person for that position. But in my opinion, the reason why Newbauer did not close out the election and win it was because in the end she had absolutely no ground game to get out the vote campaign to rally her base. And as an example... I was contacted five times by representatives from the Hagedorn campaign and right. supporters to vote for Hagedorn. I was not contacted a single time by anybody from the Newbar campaign. No mailing, no phone calls, nothing. Would so, you have an affiliation that would make – well, let me ask you this. Would you have a, do you have certain affiliations that would make it more likely that the Hagedorn people knew about you and the Newbar people didn't? Um, I really don't know, but I just okay. know that in past election campaigns, I get contacted by both by both parties. Right. Okay. Well, th- th- no, and I, I I do think thanks to call that this is for for that, that this is one of these examples again of a grassroots sort of thing where you have a candidate because at the end of the day, and this is what I, I find to be particularly ironic. I'll use that word instead of some others about what Judge Newbauer is saying. Well, it was this spending at the end? She she's going to have, my she's going to have spent more money. There will be more money spent either by her. Um, campaign directly or by these special interest groups, the so-called dark money. There's going to be, a, my guess is, a lot more money spent on her behalf than was spent on Judge Hagedorn. Now, I acknowledge that a lot of that, that money that was spent on behalf of Judge Hagedorn came in at the end, but it, it came in at the end because I, I think people sensed that there was this backlash to the type of campaign that she was running or that was being run on her behalf. Joanne in Appleton. Joanne, you're on WTMJ. I totally agree. It's a backlash with all the money that she put in saying nasty things about Judge Hagedorn. He, we needed, he needed some, some counteracting of that so that people could actually stop listening to all that bull BS <laughs> Um, and listen to what Hagedorn really was all about. Otherwise, people...
people were just hearing that message that she was putting out by her dark money. Right. Well, that that is, I mean, it is the, the ultimate irony of this, saying, well, I, it was all this money that came in at the end and affected me without talking about, like, all the money that was spent on her behalf. That 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 is kind of ironic, you know. I mean, it's, it is people who live in glass houses, Joanne, can't throw stones. And Lisa Neubauer is the last person that should be throwing stones about the effect of big money, period. Do you think we'll hear how much money was spent by both sides? Because yes. I agree. I think uh, she'll have had more money spent for her because hers was weeks. Oh, yeah. We, weeks we, everything. Right. And it's not like she ran out of money at the end. There were, I mean, I, there were still lots of Neubauer ads and lots of anti-Hagedorn attack ads that went up to Election Day. So it's it's not like she could plead poverty. No, thanks for call. No, to answer your question, Joanne, we, we will know. I mean, you'll you'll know at, at some point in time, you know, we already have an indication uh, of the spending that some of these groups have had. And you won't necessarily know everything, but you'll we'll have a pretty good idea. And I will be stunned if she hasn't substantially outspent Hagedorn. Um, it would have been even greater had there not been this influx of money at the end. But it's this one wasn't about money, and it wasn't about, gee, the, the dark money that came in at the end. It was about the, the nature of the campaign, I think, that Neubauer ran and the fact that she ran kind of a, here, I, I'm, I, it's a coronation as opposed to a campaign. For what it's worth, you know, there's an open Supreme Court seat, not an open Supreme Court seat, uh, Justice Kelly, who is one of the conservative majority, he's up for, he, it's his seat that's up for election. He hasn't said whether he's going to run for election or not, but um, Judge Neubauer says she's done. Says so she's not running again. She's going to run for uh, her court of appeals seat. Try to get reelected to that. Um, so we'll, you know, we'll see what happens. But again, she is now conceded. The race is over, and you have at least for the next, you know, year plus, you have a, a working conservative majority on the state supreme court. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Welcome back. Eric Bilstadt. You know who I blame for this bad weather that we're going through? Who? My producer, Gru, who is the flying Dutchman when it comes to weather. Gru, tell, tell us, you know, you're not going to be here tomorrow. You're not going to be here Friday. You're not going to be here Monday. Tell us what it is that you are going to be doing. Trivia 5-0 in Stevens Point. It's the 50th anniversary of the largest trivia contest in the world. And they do this. You you went to you are a graduate of University of Wisconsin Stevens Point, right? So you that's right. And, and this is through the campus radio station. They ask trivia questions at WWSP 90 FM. Yeah. And mm. so what happens is. People come from what, like all over the the tri count, all over, like they come as far as Wausau or whatever to participate in this. People play all around the world. People, there's teams in Pennsylvania. There's play. There's teams in California. They tune in. They stream it online. They call in to Stevens Point to submit their answers. And it starts on Friday evening and it runs through Sunday evening. Six p.m. Friday to midnight Sunday night. And it and it's it's twenty four hours. So I mean every once it starts, there's no stopping. Not not even 30 inches of snow. Well, that's what we're going to get to in just a minute. Mm-hmm. So, so, and you're, you've got a team, right? There's you and, and a group of people? Yeah, tons of others that are uh, alumni of 90FM because we all used to work there and work the contest. Okay, so how many people are on your team approximately this year? Uh, about 20. Okay, so listen to this, Eric. So, okay, 
so you're going to get together, you're, but you're not going to Stevens Point, right? You're going somewhere else? Right. This year, we were originally going to be just outside of Stevens Point in Amherst, uh, Amherst Junction, but that didn't work out this year. We're going to be in the Dells. So you're, you're renting, you told me you're renting a log cabin, and mm-hmm. you and like 20 to 30 of your closest friends are going to be there. Well, it was about 30 last year. It's closer to 20 this oh, year. Oh, to so. be young again. Yeah, no, no kidding. And you, know, you notice he didn't invite me to do that. <laughs> I, I am a font of information, a useless trivia. I mean, I, I can I can quote Macbeth and, and Lear, and I know TV shows from the 60s and all. The uh, trivia movie, every uh, every the weekend before trivia, they release a movie. Um, they play it at one of the local theaters in Stevens Point, and... Tons of people get in line. They it sells out every like they only do like four showings because um, they ask trivia questions on the movie throughout the contest. And this year's movie is Some Like It Hot. Oh, yeah, sure. What yeah, do you well, got for me? Anything? Well, that's, I mean, uh... you know, Marilyn Monroe and Tony Curtis, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, a- absolutely. No, it's and Jack Lemmon, sure. Kaylee and I watched uh, it on Monday once we found out uh, what the movie was, and <laughs> mm-hmm. I was asleep in a half hour. Okay, so here. <laughs> See, I I know that movie. Okay, but here's here's the other interesting thing, Eric. Last year they they did this, and he went up there and and they rented like the, this house outside of mm-hmm. Stevens Point, and you had to be evacuated right. because last year there was a blizzard. The same weekend there was a blizzard that moved through, right? Thirty inches of snow. It was our choice to evacuate ourselves, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> so he's so Eric. He says to me yesterday, he said, "You know, I, I'm I'm going to be gone tomorrow and Friday and Saturday and, and Monday." And I said, "Well, this thing doesn't start till Friday. You're going to be gone tomorrow." Yeah, well, they're they're talking about blizzards and stuff, and yeah, I don't want to have yeah. to drive through it. So yeah, yes, he is the so the flying Dutchman, but he didn't invite you or I to participate no, in this no. trivia thing. Must so. have a pretty good staff already lined up. I, yeah. I, what do you get if you win? Uh, you know those really cheap trophies that you can buy uh, at trophy stores that are maybe like five dollars, but they're they're tall, like okay. maybe a foot or two. You get one of those. Oh. <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right. Well, we wish you the the very we wish you the very best Thank of you. luck. But yeah, he's so he's, he's like I'm going to be gone Thursday and Friday and Monday. And I think Thursday and Friday and Monday. But I eh, what can you say? Some people go to Florida. He ends up going to Stevens Point. I love it. Or to the Wisconsin Dells. I'd be going there, and it would be kind of like, okay, can I take a break over to Ho Chunk and you know play some video poker or something like that? Hey, a couple more of the uh, numbers are being rolled out from the Marquette University Law School poll. The I gave you the Trump numbers. Um, they asked people who identify as Democrat or Democrat-leaning who their top choice is now. Now, keep in mind, the Wisconsin primary is about a year from now, so the numbers you get right now really are more of a name recognition thing, I think, than anything else. No surprise. Well, maybe one tiny surprise. The top choice in the in the Marquette University Law School poll among Democrats, uh, Bernie Sanders, 32%, and they ask you, okay, who's your top choice? Top choice, Bernie Sanders, 32%. No, you know, no secret there. Bernie Sanders won the Wisconsin primary. Interestingly, Joe Biden, 29%. This poll was taken during the whole Me Too Biden sort of stuff. And it really, to, at least to my way of thinking, Given that you always got to figure that Wisconsin, Bernie Sanders was going to win this, it, it it shows, at least to me, that, that all this Me Too stuff and the touchy-feely and the creepy Uncle Joe things really didn't damage him that much. So Biden, 29%, and then kind of the bottom drops out. Elizabeth Warren, 17%. Kamala Harris, 11%. Beto O'Rourke. 10%. Cory Booker, 9%. And then it kind of drops off from there. But the bottom line is... 
Uh, Bernie Sanders, 32 percent. Biden, 29 percent. Elizabeth Warren way behind. Her campaign just is not not getting traction at all. I think there's a number of reasons for that. But uh, it'll, again, it, it, this is just a, it's a show pony poll right now. You will, will know better a year from now. When we come back, all right, a woman says her rights were violated for breastfeeding in public. It's an interesting story we will discuss. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. All right, let's us, let us once again go where angels fear to tread. Let me say at the outset, I, I have I have nothing against breastfeeding mothers. I understand it is a completely natural thing, but this is a story that raises some of these interesting issues. This comes from Scottsdale, Arizona, last week. There is a woman who goes to visit her goes to her daughter's elementary school. Okay, so elementary school, Scottsdale, Arizona. She goes to visit her daughter, who is an elementary school student, and she goes to talk to her on a playground. So this is recess. So you have all the elementary school kids who are out there at at the playground. Now, I guess I think it's interesting that they let parents visit the kids during recess, which strikes me as a little bit odd, but that doesn't matter. So the, the mom goes to visit her elementary school kid. She also has an infant, a a baby, with her. And the mom is standing on the playground where they got all the elementary kids around, and the mom is breastfeeding the infant while she's, like, talking to her her elementary school daughter. So there's all these kids around that are watching this or or seeing this go on with the lady that kind of has her breast exposed. And I I don't get the sense that she's particularly covered up, but but regardless, it's no secret, you know, what what she's doing. And her breast is somewhat exposed, as you might expect when she's involved in breastfeeding. One of the teachers walks by and and notices, notices this and obviously uh, has this kind of issue about this and goes and tells the assistant principal. The assistant principal comes up to her and says, you know, ma'am, we'd like you to, we've got this area that, you know, we've got a room that's set aside inside, you know, where where you can do this and a little bit more privacy, at which point in time the, the lady gets extremely upset. How dare you ask me not to do this in, in public? As a matter of fact, she starts. She pulls out her cell phone and starts videoing the interaction she's having with the assistant principal. Now, in the process uh, of doing this, you know, there's all these other elementary school kids who are gathering, and they end up on on this video, you know, without their their permission. But she's videoing this. All right, the the school says, look, we, we want you off the playground, and we'll, we, we've we got this area that's set aside inside. We've got this room, and it's not like they're saying, oh, go to some dirty bathroom. They're saying, we, we've got this room that's set aside for people who can breastfeed. Well, she doesn't, she doesn't want to do that. She says, you know, the assistant teacher approached me. She's gone on to say, well, th- this is just terrible. How about never sexualizing women's breasts, young or old? I can't wait for the day where a woman's body is not under greater rule than a man's. To which the the school district, this is what they say. They say, while we as adults understand the important connection and health benefits realized for mother and child through this form of nourishment, we also realize some parents may not wish to have their young children exposed to breastfeeding and then to be filmed by an unknown adult at school without prior permission. 
All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, Arizona law uh, apparently gives people the the right to breastfeed and says it can't be limited. Um, it's a more of an open question about whether they can ask you to move to the private area or not. But anyhow, this this lady thinks that this is the greatest injustice in the world, that she was asked to move into a more private area as opposed to breastfeeding on the playground at recess surrounded by all the elementary school kids. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Regardless of how you feel about breastfeeding in, in public, was the school out of line under these circumstances to ask the lady to move into a more private area? 414-799-1620. I'll tell you where I come down on this, and we'll discuss in just a minute. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, again, I, I want to start this off by saying I, I have I have no issue with breastfeeding. I appreciate the idea that it is a completely and totally natural sort of thing. In this particular case, though, it is difficult for me to fault the school officials. I mean, it's an elementary school. You have this lady who comes to visit her elementary school student. She's on the playground, and she decides that that's going to be the opportunity that she's going to use to while she's there, while all these other young kids are around, she's going to use this as the opportunity to breastfeed the infant that she has. And I understand that kids get hungry and there's only so much timing that you can do. The school officials don't say to her, no, ma'am, you can't breastfeed. But they do say, we have this room that's set aside for this. And apparently it's not this kind of unpleasant room. And their interest is, look, I, I think, you know, we've got issues with all these other kids. And it's not a question of sexualizing breasts or whatever. But, you know, maybe some of the other parents that are out there, maybe they don't want your kids being exposed to this even though it's perfectly natural you know when when they're six and seven years old maybe this is just not something they want their kids to see i appreciate where the school is coming from and again i think this is one of these things where what you see is the school trying to reach a reasonable accommodation here by balancing the woman's right we're not telling you you can't breastfeed and stuff but you know we have this area that's set aside for this balancing her right to you know feed her child as she sees fit with the interests of some of the other kid the perhaps other parents and the kids out there who i don't know maybe maybe they just don't want to be having this particular conversation with their 6 or 7 year old kid and i'm trying to put the perspective of what about the parents that aren't there and you know little johnny comes home you know what you know what happened at school today well there was this lady on the playground and you know she had this baby and you know she was she i, I got she showed her top now again maybe that's not necessarily that big a deal and maybe it's not in particular a big deal when you're dealing with adults who need to understand that that's a very natural thing. But, 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 don't parents of the other elementary school kids who are out there on the playground, 
don't they have certain rights as well? And again, I, it, the school officials, candidly, in a situation like this, are between a rock and a hard place because if they don't do something, they end up inevitably getting the calls from several parents who are probably going to be upset that they didn't want their children exposed to this in the school setting. 414-799-1620, Frank in Bayview. Frank, you're on WTMJ. Jeff, good afternoon. Hi. Um, I, I know this is a little out there, but this day and age, I honestly think the woman was looking for trouble. A- any rational adult would think that through first. Okay, you know, she obviously she's around a bunch of small kids. She's a mother. She's a parent. Mm-hmm. She's aware of those, you know, those indelicacies, maybe. Right, well, you the know? concerns that other parents might have uh, exactly. about this when you're dealing with, with kids. It's not, it's not even like you're in an adult restaurant. Her. Yeah, it, it's not like it's not like she's in a, in a restaurant where you're surrounded by adults or something. I mean, you're, you're on a, you, you've gone to a playground at an elementary school. And she whips the phone out at the ready. I think it was kind of staged. Well, it, uh, well, and thanks. For, no, it, it very well could be. And as a matter of fact, that's the other thing that again the, the school officials did. They said, "All right, well, n- number one, you know, we have concerns about this, and, and number two, these we're you're, you're now starting to take videos of you know these minors that have gathered around on the playground, and you know we have issues with that. As a matter of fact, that's why." Uh, a number of the, the news sites that reported on this, they're not posting the video because it's got all the, these kids that have ended up becoming sort of like the props in this overall conversation. And I understand that, you know, we, we need to view things like breastfeeding as being perfectly natural. And the idea of saying, OK, if a woman wants to do that, you got to go into some like icky toilet stall or something to do that. I, I understand that we need to get past all of that. But. All right, this was an elementary school playground. Mary in Waukesha. Mary, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, I totally, absolutely think the school did the right thing. Okay, tell me why. I, I'm a breast, I breastfed two of my kids. I think a lot of people who breastfeed, unfortunately, like they like to make it into an issue. And this is not an issue. This is an elementary school that is exactly what you're saying. It's trying to protect other kids that may not have the same exposure to that stuff and they have rights too right they weren't telling her to go into some nasty room they provided a nice place for her i've had that situation where i was on a playground and i had a younger kid there with me that i wanted to watch i also didn't have everything out i mean i was very covered up most people wouldn't even be able to tell if i was <laughs> right right but i think the school handled it well yeah, no, right. Thanks for call. It, it's this whole thing to do with the balancing of of different people's rights. And unfortunately, there's some folks out there that become militant on some of these issues, and they don't care about anybody else's rights. It's all about me, 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 me. And all right, well, maybe sometimes you have to realize that there is kind of a worldview that's out there. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. This story from Kenosha last week is just just horrible. You have three brothers. They're the, the Rizzo family, um, ages ranging from like 67 to 72 or 76. So you get these three brothers, one of whom's a doctor, one of whom's a dentist, um, one of their wives, who's a nurse, and again, th- this other brother, they're all out. They go to a fish fry. It's, it's, of course, Lent. They go to a fish fry last Friday night. They are driving home along Highway 20. What ends up happening is there's apparently this car that's driving li- uh, Highway 50 down in Kenosha. 
driving like a bat out of you know where. So they're driving in a in an SUV. They're driving along this car that apparently has been swerving all over the road. It's 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 actually a pickup truck swerving all over the road, nearly going off the road, nearly striking mailboxes and street signs. Comes up on the SUV that this this family is riding in as they're on the way back from their fish fry at their their church. What happens is the pickup truck hits the SUV from behind. They estimate that the pickup truck was going 100 miles an hour on Highway 50 in Kenosha. So it smacks into the back of this SUV that's being driven by this family. What happens then is the driver of the SUV loses control. You've been hit from behind by 100 miles an hour, and it goes off the road. And where it goes off the road, there's it goes down this slope. It's not like it's like level ground or anything. Apparently, you're, you're hit from behind at 100 miles an hour, which I think is about double the speed limit for that area. So it, it goes off the road. It goes down a slope. Because it's moving so fast, the driver loses control. The car flips over onto its onto its back and ends up, you know, on on the roof of the car, upside down. Um, it comes to rest. It knocks over several trees. It comes to rest in a small creek. Three of the four people in the car are killed. Fourth is in serious critical condition. Like I say, they estimate the truck was going a hundred miles an hour. They find the truck. Um, the, the truck ends up a um, hundred yards further down the road. Driver loses control of that in a field. They catch the driver. As predictably happens in these sorts of situations, the driver, who they believe to be drunk, the driver is, he's relatively uninjured. I mean, they take him to the hospital, but he doesn't have any serious sort of injuries at all. Turns out that the guy is, he's from Illinois, 40 years old, has a prior conviction going back about 10 years for injury while driving intoxicated. Doesn't have a valid Wisconsin's license, driver's license, but does have a valid Illinois license. How that happened, you know, who knows. But and then again, they're waiting for toxicology reports. They say the guy reeked of booze, but they don't know what his blood alcohol level was yet. So anyhow, you have three people that are dead, fourth seriously injured. Right now, they have charged him in connection just with the deaths of these three people. He's been charged with recklessly causing the death of another human being under circumstances which show utter disregard for human life. That is a Class B felony in Wisconsin. Class B felonies carry up to 60 years in prison. So we don't know what the toxicology is. Like I say, we don't know what the guy's blood alcohol level is. My guess, if it comes back and shows that he's he's liquored up, there might be amended charges that includes that. But regardless, he's driving 100 miles an hour, almost hitting mailboxes, smacks into the back of this car, and these people are dead. All right, he is 40 years old. This is your test if you want to be a judge. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let us assume for the sake of argument that the state of Wisconsin is, in fact, able to prove this guy guilty of these Class B felonies, causing somebody, recklessly causing the death of somebody else under utter disregard for human life. Because it seems to me, candidly, that's that's what these facts show. But, you know, people are innocent until proven guilty. If they are able to prove this, 
What do you do with him? He's 40 years old. Let's assume that he's drunk. You've got three people that are dead. Do you put him in prison essentially for the rest of his life? Or do you say, well, you know, what good's going to come from putting, from warehousing somebody like this? You know, he's 40 years old. Maybe he can be a productive member of society. What do you do with this guy who was driving the pickup truck at 100 miles an hour? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Does it matter whether he's drunk or not? Like I say, they, 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 they're pretty sure that he was drunk. But does that even matter? Is that an excuse? What do you do with him when and if he is convicted? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. While Gru is lining up the phone calls, let me prime the pump here. If it appears before this Judge Wagner, my reaction is... Every damn day that you can give this guy, you give him. Three people are dead. A fourth is seriously injured. They will never see another day. This could be you. This could be me. This could be your spouse. This could be your kids. All you're doing is coming back from the church fish fry, and you happen to have the misfortune of being on the road where this lunatic is driving a truck at 100 miles an hour. 414-799-1620. My reaction to what should happen to him every damn day. We're back to discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to take your calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, very glad to have you with us. Let's start with Sophia in Heartland. Sophia, good afternoon. Hi there. Hi. What do you think? Uh, my thoughts on this, as I was saying before, I, I don't think putting this guy in jail is going to do any good. As everybody knows that children may be watching this, and parents say, we'll see what this gets you. I think what they ought to do with this guy is, yeah, maybe put him in jail, but then put him through therapy and through some other programs and dry him out. I mean, he's got obviously got an abuse problem. But okay, and then once you dry him out, what do you do with him? What you do with him is you take him into classrooms. And I, and I think what he ought to do is tell his story, how he got there, and shake up some of these kids who think it's cute. You know, in the future, okay, these 16, 17-year-olds, they have a problem with this, no matter what city it is, and say, hey, you know, these kids are drinking, they're abusing drugs, blah, 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 and they can see now what this guy did. Now he's in jail. Now he's forced to dry him out because these people aren't going to do it themselves. <laughs> okay, they but have- let me ask you this. Are, once you dry him out and you want to take him around to schools, are you going to be letting him out of jail to do that, letting him out of prison? No, I don't think so. I think that would be too easy for him because a lot of them have done. And I come from a background, my father was an alcoholic his whole life. Mm-hmm. And it, it destroys families. And that's exactly what it does. Right. Well, I guess I, I'm glad. I guess I'm kind of glad to hear you say that because I mean, if if your idea is, all right, we're we're going to put him in prison where hopefully he will he'll won't have any choice to dry out, and if you want to say, okay, there, if there's opportunities to take him around in his orange jumpsuit or whatever, and say, all right, look at me, this is what happened to me because of this is what I did, and then take him back at night, you know, to what, whatever prison he's in. If you can work something like that out, I, I don't have an issue with it. If the idea is we're going to bring him in, we're going to give him a three-year sentence, and then we're going to say as a condition of your probation or your parole, we want you to go around and talk to schools, I would say you can't do that because the message is, hey, if you do that, the message is, hey, look at me. I got drunk I or whatever. I killed three people. I served three years in prison that was awful but now all i'm doing is telling you guys about it that that to me 
I mean, that's not a penalty. It, you, I guess, the, to me, the bottom line is you have to warehouse this guy. And I understand that's why some people say, well, you know, it, it costs a lot of money to put people in prison and we need to have other sorts of alternatives. All right, here's the problem. Three people are dead. And and this this happened to this particular family. He killed three brothers. Killed three brothers. And, you know, one was a dentist, one was a doctor. That doesn't necessarily make anything, any difference. You know, no life is more valuable than any other life. But these people are dead. These people are dead, and they leave behind family members and nieces and nephews and grandkids, I'm sure, and children and all that type of stuff. They're, they're dead because this guy, and again, I, I'm assuming there's alcohol involved here, but I don't care. I mean, if you're driving in a reckless fashion, you're going 100 miles an hour, that vehicle that you're in, in this case the pickup truck, it becomes a weapon just as much as you pick up a handgun and use that as a weapon. 414-799-1620. Vincent on the northwest side. Hi, Vincent. Uh, good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, it does make a difference that this was a doctor and a dentist and 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 the nurse is clinging to her life. And, uh, you know, the fact is these people were good people living their lives mm-hmm. and trying to do the right thing. And it seems like every time somebody, those are the people who are out here are getting maimed and killed. Uh, the, the young lady that, that got into the Uber at 1 o'clock in the morning and then some idiot runs a, runs a right. stop sign and kills her. Right. The fact is she did the right thing. And then you got some other, you know, a fool out here, you know, uh, just reg- disregarding the law and 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 and, and right. uh, taking lives. This guy should not see the light of day. Yeah. You know, all the things the lady talked about before, he can do. He can sober out. Get sober. Get sober. He can. He can go around and, and, and probably be a mentor to people and say that this is what he did. But he's going to do it <laughs> in, 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 in the confines of a jail. I, I agree completely. Yeah, thanks. No, I, I mean, I, I, I agree completely. And this is, I, I always, I, the reason I, I talk about this is, is not only is this a scary sort of thing, because look, my, my guess is this happens a, a lot. I don't know about you, but there's not, I don't want to exaggerate. I was going to say there's not a day that goes by. I'll modify that. There is not a week that goes by that I'm not driving around, um, just uh, that, that where somebody I was telling the story yesterday or two days ago. I'm going home a couple days ago through Estabrook Park. Honest to goodness, there is a car coming. The speed limit's 20 miles an hour. There's a car coming. If the guy was doing, he was doing 80. If he was doing five, driving down the center of this thing, cars are are just pushing over to the side to avoid from being hit head on by this character. I try to get the license plate number, but there's no license plate on the car, so you can't end up doing that, and it's just gone. My guess is any of us that drive around the area have stories that on any given day, you see this, and and people just get away with it, and I'm not faulting law enforcement. You can't be everywhere. I, I understand this, but whether they're drunk or reckless or just don't care, this is the type of thing that can happen. And what happened to this family on Friday night is, unfortunately, the type of thing that, again, could happen to you. It could happen to me. It could happen to our loved ones. And when this happens, I think we just have to collectively say no sympathy, period. If you are going to make this decision to behave in this type of reckless fashion and it results in this horrific type of thing, boom, you are done Do not pass go, do not collect $100, and do not get out of prison. Rose in West Allis. Rose, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Rose. First of all, I don't understand why Wisconsin is so lenient with their drunk driving laws. 
And second of all, this guy apparently didn't learn from the first time he did bodily harm with drinking and driving. This time he killed three people, and as far as I'm concerned, if he doesn't see the light of day ever again, I, I, I wouldn't really lose sleep over it. Yeah, I, right, exactly. I mean, is this is, is this going to be the, per, the, given the fact that you have all these people dead, is this going to be the person that anybody is going to lose any sleep over? No, thanks for calling. I mean, it's the, the thing is, we, we just... It is this irresponsibility that's out there. And again, I, my, my guess is the numbers are going to come back and it's going to turn out that he's blind drunk. To me, that doesn't necessarily make any difference um, whether he's blind drunk or not. You're driving 100 miles an hour. You're swerving all over the road. Blind drunk or not, you are an absolute menace. And when the results are what the results are, boom, that's it. It doesn't bring the family back. It, I, I get it. it. It's an inadequate response in some respects, but nevertheless, I think it's the only appropriate response that you can have in a civilized society, and that is you're in prison, you are staying in prison, you will not see the light of day. This is Jeff Wagner. My guess is, just like what happened in Nicolay, it wasn't just one. It was something that went on from time to time. And I, I think what needs to happen in the Elmbrook School District right away is since they obviously believe that this did, in fact, occur. What needs to happen is there needs to be a complex and complete and thorough investigation of the entire tenure of this teacher, both at the high school and at the um, middle school as well, to try to find out if, just like what happened at Nicolay, where there was more than just one victim, was there, in fact, more than one victim here? you got to figure out whether that occurred. And then what you have to do is take the next step and figure out why did that occur? Did nobody really know that this stuff was going on? Or did people just look the other way because this was an uncomfortable truth? That's what I think people who have kids that went through the Elmbrook school system need to be demanding, and they need to be demanding it immediately. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Melissa, when you shop for things like clothing or electronics or items like that, are you more inclined, do you, do you still like to go into the retail stores or... Are you more inclined to do it online? Well, it depends if I already have had a product before and I kind of know what to look for. If it's something new that I've never had, I like to go into the store, check it out, see how it works, maybe get a little bit more info on it. So, yeah, I guess I do like brick and mortar. Okay. I do. All right. Um, Well, it's interesting because you are, I think, in danger of becoming a dinosaur. (laughs) And I say that with love and affection. No, no, no. And I, I, I... there's a new study. It just, I mean, literally, it just it just came out. The big story in the Washington Post. It's done by this investment firm called UBS, and they're trying to figure out where consumer patterns are going. They estimate that right now, and we're talking about traditional retail. We're talking about clothing and electronics and furniture. I'm not talking about groceries or things like that right now. But currently, they estimate that about 16 percent of overall sales are made online. That That's now. This study estimates that in the next uh, about six or seven years, that number is going to grow to about 25%. That is one out of every four retail sales in these areas. And again, we're exempting groceries. But 
one out of every four is going to be made online. And what they do as a result of this is there is an estimate that about 75,000 stores that sell clothing, electronics, and furniture are, are going to close in the next five or six or seven years as consumer buying cha- trends change. Now, unlike Melissa, who you know talks about how she likes to go to the, these retail stores, I hate it. <laughs> I just, I, I, I just, I. Well, I, let me say this: I don't think I, I don't necessarily like it, but I do it because no. I like to touch it and I like to see it. Like if I'm buying a new TV, uh-huh. I wouldn't want to just go online and buy it. I'd want to see it and see what the, you know, see what it looks like in the store, and you know, mm-hmm. what's the picture look like? I don't know. No, no, I don't, the not process isn't exactly it. fun. It's not no. exactly fun. It, you, and you don't have to be defensive yeah. about it. I, I, I understand that. For me, it, it's the mm-hmm. other way around. I mean, going. I think I almost prefer going to the dentist and you know, having my teeth <laughs> no. fixed yeah. than than I do to necessarily going into the shopping. Now, sometimes sometimes you have to. If I'm if I'm buying a suit, for example, that has to be tailored, well, all right, I, you you need to go in mm-hmm. and you want to see how it fits. Sure. But I I mean to give you to give you an example, we needed some of these. Um, we we got a couple of these these meat thermometers, the ones, the electronic ones, where you kind of stick it in and it tells you what the temperature of the meat on the sure. grill is. Mm-hmm. Just needed a couple of those. I, I could have gone to a hardware store or some you know other place and tried to find them. I knew what I wanted. Go sit down at the computer. Go to Amazon.com. Click on these things. Type this stuff. And a day later, free shipping. You have it. I, I get it. And, and it's there. I, I do this a lot with books. I'll be reading the New York Times book review or the Wall Street Journal or something like that, and they'll recommend a book. And you think, okay, well, I could you know, go down to the local bookstore, and I could see if they have it or wait for it to come out. Or here, let me just get out the computer. Go to you know, Amazon.com. Mm-hmm. You know, there, it's coming out. Oh, it comes out on Tuesday. You order it, and it's there. On, on Tuesday. I have that, to say that is very convenient. The next day you have it at your doorstep and you don't need to, you know, go to a, a busy right, retail store. Right, that may or may not have it. Now, I mean, I understand that there's some people who are more tactile. In other words, you you want to see it, you want to, to feel it. I mean, even with clothing, I... I, I know what my size is. Now, again, I, I mean, I understand if it's with like men's suits or something like that. But if I'm if I just want a pair of like blue jeans and I wear Levi blue jeans, I know what size I wear, you know. And so you just you just you just order them and they're there. I don't have to go to the department store and hope to see that they do they have my size or not. You just kind of go there and you order them. And two days later, it's there and it's free shipping. So I. I I do certainly the majority of my shopping online nowadays. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This new study that's out there is predicting, they're describing it as a retail apocalypse. Um, they, they think there's going to be massive store closings over the course of the next six or seven years. And the estimate is if online shopping right now is 16%, they say it's going to be 25%. My sense is that that is conservative. I, I think that the effect of the Amazon.coms of the world and the Internet in general, I think it is going to be much more pronounced. And if it's 16% now, my guess is five years, it's not going to be 25%. My guess is it's going to be 30 35%, perhaps even more. 
as more and more people who are more and more computer comfortable and computer savvy just end up doing that. Okay, why why go to the local bookstore? Why go to the record store? Do they even have record stores anymore? You know, why why do that? Here, I'm just going to get this all through online stuff where you can find out this is this is what I want. I saw this, I know the brand I want. Boom, I'm going to get it. 414-799-1620. Guess my question is, are we because of online shopping? Are we truly looking at what they're describing as a retail apocalypse? These numbers say they think that there's going to be 75,000 traditional retail stores that close. I think that may be conservative. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. We're back. So glad to have you with us. Mary in Oshkosh. Hi, Mary. Mary, yeah, I can hear you. Go ahead. Hi. Hi. Um, I see both sides. Um, I have a daughter who lives central Wisconsin, um, lives in the country, lives an hour from Wausau, an hour and a half from Green Bay. I mean, from, from Eau Claire. So she does 90% more of her shopping online. Mm-hmm. She does what she knows her size, like you said, and it's just simpler. She gets what she wants. She has return service. Whereas I, and again, maybe it's an age thing, I don't know, but I like going to the store. Neither one of us are big shoppers. Right. So even me, though I like to go to the store, I go get what I want and I'm done, but I can feel it tried on. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I think some of it is the age. I think as the younger generation are more likely to shop online. Convenience. Right, and know, they're just um, used to it. No, I, I, I agree. I think it, it's sort of like newspapers, Mary. It's kind of a generational thing. You talk to somebody below a certain age, 35 or 40, and they, they've never held a hard copy of a newspaper in their hand unless they were, you know, waiting for their car, the oil to be changed on their car or something like that. It's, it, I, and I think this is getting to be more of a generational type of thing. Yeah. No, yeah, no, no, no. Thanks for call four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I seriously believe these numbers are conservative, and, and I think you know their estimate is that twenty five percent of the what used to be traditional retail shopping is going to be done online in the next five years. I, I think it's going to be a lot more than that. And I mean, I just look. I mean, I'm not necessarily a spring chicken, and I just look at more and more of the type of shopping that I do. It, it's online, and it's for every different sort of thing, and especially since, like I say, they've got these free return things that are out there, and it doesn't matter whether you're buying golf balls or you know, a, a baseball hat or whatever. You can go online, and it is, it's is—it's the convenience that I, I acknowledge. It's, it's just overwhelming. You can, you can go online. You can see, you can't feel the different things, but you can see the different kind of choices of stuff that are out there. And I will tell you, I've even started to do this more and more when it comes to even, I don't know, even even like toiletries and, and things like that. If there's a particular type of I don't know, hairspray that you like to use or a particular type of deodorant that you like to use that, that you can't always find on the shelves in a particular store well you can go online and you can see that you can get a six pack of that and they'll ship it to your door and like i say you got it you've got it the next day it is that convenience that i i guess i find to be incredibly attractive 
that that is is more and more appealing now in contrast my wife likes to go likes to go through the stores and she likes to actually see this stuff and she likes to try the different things on and uh, but but that's that's I, I think fading more and more and I think this is going to be the challenge for the brick and mortar retailers moving forward as to how do you end up keeping up with this because I think the trend towards online stuff is going to expand more and more I'll give you an indication I um, I there's a particular type of coffee that I like and it's it's coffee with chicory that's what I happen to like and there's a couple you can get it from the French market in New Orleans and and that's where I order mine from and so instead of I mean it's just it's the k-cups of coffee so instead of going across to pick and save or to Sendex or whatever I mean I I order it when I start to run low I I just put another order in it comes two days later and you're all set 414-799-1620 John in Milwaukee John you're on WTMJ Hello, Jeff. Thank you for taking my call. Yes, sir. Great topic. I just happened to leave a Chamber of Commerce luncheon talking with business people, and it's amazing when you look at how our marketplace has changed with retail. And you look at the numbers, and I agree with you. I think twenty five percent, thirty percent is even low. Mm-hmm. And it's not just going to be bricks and mortar retail, as a lot of communities have seen. You look at Bayshore Town Center, the thirty eight percent reduction in the retail footprint. But groceries, mm-hmm. and trying to get a grocery store in a community, I, I saw that one of the major retailers is predicting within two years, $30 billion, with a B, is going to be purchased in online groceries. Hmm. You know, you, you look at the advertisements for, the, you know, the national department store chains. You know, it, you've got one picture of somebody picking up groceries. The next commercial, commercial is somebody picking up their dolly for their daughter. The mm-hmm. next commercial is them buying clothes. And doing it all online. I mean, a, a simple example for me personally, my wife last summer, she went to a local department store to buy a pair of tennis shoes for $30. She likes to try them on, right? Right. Well, she she didn't put the paper in the right shoe. The clerk came up and said, go home, buy them online. You can get them for 10 bucks." We came back 10 minutes later, the same pair of tennis shoes without the paper in the right shoe, $10. Huh. Huh. Young people in today's day and age, they don't need to touch it and feel it and see it like middle-aged and older people do. And when the marketplace gets to the point where you don't have that service out there anymore, people are going to have to adapt to online because they're doing it right now. I mean, you know, you look at the online places like the Amazons of the world, they're delivering 24 hours a day, right. seven days a week, 365 days a year. Right. That's every for every dollar that's bought online. That's a dollar that's not coming out of a bricks and mortar retailer. Yeah. I, how do they survive in the future? Well, it's it's going to be tough. Well, no. Thanks for culture. You're, you know, it's. I mean, I'll, I will. I'll give you another example of this. All right. The the golf season hopefully is going to start sometime soon. So one of the things I do every year is I kind of take my my old golf gloves. You know, then and they they kind of get sweaty and kind of ground up a little bit. And and I I toss them and I, I go out. And I buy three or four new golf gloves, and that'll it'll keep me through the, the year. And I was thinking about this because for me, I kind of forget about stuff. But I, it would happen to be it was first of mine the other day, and I was sitting there. Okay, I want to get golf gloves. Well, instead of getting in the car and driving to you know one of the the sporting goods stores or whatever, and and getting the golf gloves, I know what kind of golf glove I want. I mean, I've been using the same type of golf glove for a number of years. That's what I intend to buy. So I again the same thing. I go on Amazon. I put in okay foot this you get the to the website right away it says okay this is how much it is um you get your size you say what size
size you want. You click the stuff, and and I will tell you, at 24 hours later, the, the golf gloves are dropped off at my doorstep. You know, it's just, it's just, it is the trend that is there. And I keep thinking that again, if if people my age, or at least a guy like me, is doing this. What, what does that mean for somebody who's 20 years younger or 30 years younger than I am who, who grew up, uh, again, not even not even holding a newspaper or something like that and just used to doing everything through the Internet? So you know, who knows? I, I, does this mean the end of brick-and-mortar retail? No, it doesn't. But what it means, I think, is that the brick-and-mortar retailers, there's always going to be a role for that, but they have to figure out how to uh, adapt if they are, in fact, going to survive, they, they have to figure out, OK, what are we going to be able to do? What service are we going to be able to offer that's going to end up keeping us relevant? And I, I think there's all sorts of things that you can do. You look at various success stories that are out there. You still have local hardware stores. It doesn't matter that Walmart's moved in or Target's moved in or whatever. You still have local hardware stores that succeed because they, they, they have knowledgeable staffs and, you know, you can go in to the hardware store and you can say how does this work or how do I fix this and you have somebody that can explain that to you whereas if you go to the, you know the giant big box retailer you might be talking to the 19 year old kid no knock on the 19 year old kid but who has no idea as to you know what this is and how it works okay so it's that degree of customer service that you provide that allows you to stay in business so I'm not saying I think that retailers go out of business but I am saying I think there's an ongoing challenge and just like newspapers didn't adapt to this, didn't see it coming as quickly as it did, and now, you know, look at the mess the newspaper industry is in because of the internet. I, I think, you know, this is a shot across the bow for retailers. You gotta you gotta be ready for it. We'll be back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. <laughs> So very glad to have you with us. As I was saying in one of the previous sections of today's program, I, I think in some respects the next presidential election could be decided by issues. It, it could be decided by personalities. That is, if the Democrats end up nominating a, a, a mainstream, like a Joe Biden type of candidate, I, I think it's going to be tougher for President Trump to be reelected. I, I, I just do, because then it's going to be a referendum on, on Donald Trump. If, on the other hand, Democrats nominate somebody on the far left, for example, who's really talking about upending American society in material ways, then it becomes about them and those ideas, and I think Trump has a greater chance of being reelected. That's my analysis of this. But one of the issues that, that's percolating, maybe the major issue that's percolating, has to do with the whole question of climate change. Now, we used to call this global warming. Now we, we call it climate change. The idea that things that man is doing to the environment is causing massive changes in the environment that are are for the the worse. I, I I'm kind of an agnostic when it comes to climate climate change, and and by that I mean there, there's no question you have more people now than you've ever had before, and you have particularly in some of some countries 
that are now becoming more and more industrialized, India, China in particular, yeah, they're turning more to their, they need more electricity in India. So, you know, they're, they're turning towards more fo- using more fossil fuels and coal and stuff like that to provide that electricity. You, you have, you know, China, which is becoming dramatically more industrialized. So you've got more people and you have more governments that are again becoming industrialized. Yeah, I mean, I, I understand that that's going to put a, a change on the climate. Now, to me, the question becomes, and I don't mean this to be flip, but it's kind of like, okay, so so what? Are we going to stop heating our houses in Wisconsin in the winter, or are we going to go back to wood, and what effect does, does that have? You know, so what? What are we going to do? Are we going to stop flying on airplanes if you want to go to vacation in Florida, and, or, and then if you drive, then you've got the use of gasoline. I mean, are we going to just stop going on vacations? I mean, how, how do we do that? Are we going to stop traveling? Are we going to, you know, stop using airplanes? Are we going to cripple the airline industry? So for me, the whole question about climate change is even if you accept that it's going on, is this just something that is inevitable? And, and yes, you, you have to adapt to it. And maybe that means that you'll go through periods where maybe there's going to be some erosion of some beaches somewhere. All right. Or maybe there's going to be, you know, greater weather swings and maybe you're going to have more hurricanes in certain areas of the country uh, of the world. Or, or maybe you're going to have more thunderstorms or maybe you're going to have more snow. Even if you accept that, I guess the question becomes, is that is that just something we're going to accept and adapt or is that something that we have to stop? Now, I bring this up because I think one of the the big issues, one of the big issues is that people have to decide what we're going to end up doing and how important this is. Now, there are a number of people who are running as Democrats who believe that while people have said they are concerned about climate change, that it's never really been a voting issue among large groups of people. Yeah, you, everybody loves the environment and everybody's in favor of clean air and clean water, but it's never been something that's motivated people to go out and actually cast votes. There's a number of people who believe that this is different. This year is different. And this is the time for, you know, the, the people who are environmentalists, the millennials who are perhaps more sensitive to this climate change or global warming issue than people like me um, or people of, of my generation. All right, so they think this is the time. So 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I want to talk about climate change, and I want to talk about your views of this. Look, we, we, we all want clean water, and, you know, we all want clean air, and we all like to see, like, the beaches that are preserved, and none of us likes to see more weather extremes. But I guess the question becomes, is this now, is this now the time? Is 2020 going to be the time where people start saying, all right, we're, we're going to make climate change a major voting issue here, and we're going to be looking for the candidates who support these types of Green New Deals, and we're looking for increased taxes on you know these automobiles that pollute and increased taxes on the airlines, and we want to do all these types of things because we really care. Or when the middle meets the meat, will we go the other way? How how big a voting issue is climate change going to be? 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is an interesting issue, which has kind of split the Democrat Party, because you have some of the the younger Democrats, some of the more, I don't want to say aggressively liberal Democrats, who are saying this is the year, and we have to turn climate change into a major voting issue. Now, I'm getting a number of texts from people saying, well, we refuse to believe in any sort of climate change at all. You, you can't take a small segment, segment of keeping records for 100 years if the Earth is over 10,000 years old and say we have climate change. Well, okay, I, I don't even want to debate whether there is such a thing as climate change and, and what that ends up meaning. To me, it does make sense if you have more people and you have more nations that are becoming industrialized and there's more use of fossil fuels and stuff. It, it makes sense to me that you're going to have some change in the climate. At the same time, the earth is resilient. And the question becomes, OK, so so what? You know, does that mean that, you know, we're going to, again, give up? heating our homes? Are we going to stop drilling for oil and we're not going to have gasoline and we're not going to drive cars anymore? Does it mean we're going to give up airlines and things like that? And the answer is, is no. But to me, the fundamental question is, is this the type of thing that would appeal to enough voters that you would really make this a, a legitimate platform? That is, we want to go after the power companies and we want to say that, all right, X percentage of the power you provide moving forwards got to come from, I don't know, renewable energy sources. And if that means the cost to heat your home goes up 30 percent or 40 percent, well, that's what happens. If we decide that, you know, we need more in gasoline taxes because we want to discourage we want to discourage people from driving. We want to try to force people into mass transit. All right. Th- does that mean are, are you going to be willing to pay a dollar or two dollars more for every gallon of gasoline that you buy? I mean, those, those are the real world consequences that come from trying to deal with this whole issue of climate change. And I guess the question becomes, is that something that people really want? Now, here's kind of my take on this. I think if this is what, you know, a political party wants to run on, as somebody who would be part of, like, the loyal opposition, I would say bring it on. Because I think that's the type of thing that the devil is in the details on. And once people start finding out what it means, hey, it's great to say, hey, we want clean water and we want clean air. And and we all want clean water and we all want clean air. But then if you say, well, here's the deal. We can't control what they're doing in China and we can't control what they're doing in India. But we can do our own little part of this. And that means... It's going to cost you double to heat your house next winter, you know, or you're going to have to not keep your heat at 67 degrees. You're going to have to turn it down to 60 degrees. All right. Well, you know, we you know, we want clean air. So here's the deal. We want to discourage you from driving your car as much. So what we're going to do is we're going to massively increase the taxes on that gasoline. So, yeah, you can still get gasoline, but you're not going to be able to drive as far because we're putting these big taxes on it. The devil is in the details, and as I said earlier in the show, I I think if you have somebody who is running, say, for president as a mainstream type of candidate, not talking about significantly upending the the cart 
when it comes to how American society proceeds, well, I, I think that person probably poses a significant challenge to President Trump getting reelected. If, on the other hand, you have somebody who comes across and, again, let's get rid of airplanes. Well, all right, that, that's fine. How are we going to get to Europe? How are we going to get to Hawaii? Let's get rid of airplanes, and let's make it almost impossible for people to drive automobiles, and let's increase the costs that utilities have to uh, – that it costs people to be able to heat their homes. You do all that type of stuff, and what's going to happen is you are going to drive people away from whatever that candidate is. So Chuck Schumer, who's a senator from New York, he seems to think that you know one of the ways that Democrats win in 2020 is by aggressively pushing the climate change issue as a way to motivate millennials. Hmm. I don't know. I think you aggressively push that issue. Once people start to find out what you're really talking about, yeah, I don't think you motivate people. I think you scare people away. Time will tell whether or not that um, that issue is coming out. Uh, before we turn it over to John McCure, just a couple things I wanted to mention. The, the whole battle about President Trump and his tax returns just refuses refuses to go away. As I have said repeatedly since this issue came up, I think – It's unfortunate that President Trump hasn't just turned over his tax returns like every president since uh, Richard Nixon did voluntarily. I I think that the American people, I think it's it's certainly it's it's indicative by turning over your tax returns. You give the American people an insight as to your finances and you put to bed any sort of questions about, you know, are you beholden to special interests or, or whatever? So I think it's a good thing that the presidential that presidential candidates and presidents have done that. That being said, I don't think you should have to do it. I don't think there should be a law that requires you to do it, and there isn't a law that requires you to do it. Instead, I think it's a, appropriately a campaign issue. Hey, so-and-so hasn't turned over their tax returns. That means they must be hiding something or whatever. Let's not vote for them. So, I mean, I, I think that's all – That's it's fair as a campaign issue. Now, in President Trump's case, he said he can't turn them over because he's under audit. That's – simply not true. He may, in fact, be under audit. Matter of fact, I think the IRS statutorily has an obligation to audit the returns of people who are the president. But but the, if he wanted to make his tax returns public, he could do it. There's nothing stopping him from doing that. Um, he chose not to. And he made it very clear during the election that, you know, he at least wasn't going to do it before the election. If he runs for re-election, the fact that he's chosen not to disclose his tax returns, that that's a fair campaign issue. And, and Trump leaves himself open to that particular argument. But I don't think he should have to do it. As I have explained before, I, I think what the Democrats on the House Ways and Means Committee are doing now by using this obscure provision of federal law to go after the president – and demand access to his tax returns, I I think that is a gross abuse of authority. It's not what the law was intended to do, and it's also very, very scary. The House Ways and Means Committee has the authority to request people's tax returns, and the House Ways and Means Committee writes tax law. And it's not uncommon to ask for tax returns, but generally speaking, not individual tax returns like show me this. It's show us the tax returns of everybody who took this particular exemption or used this particular loophole because you have to know how much money is involved. In this case, 
you're weaponizing the IRS by saying, we want a particular person's tax returns. And once you do it, you know that's going to be public. And that's what bothers me about this whole thing. For whatever it's worth, President Trump is out there today saying he's not going to release his tax returns. He's not going to give over six years of returns. Interestingly enough, the, the Democrats don't just want the tax returns from when he's been president, but they want tax returns for several years before he was president. He says, um, I'm not going to do it. He says, frankly, people don't care. I don't know if he's right about that or not, but it's a decision that I think he should be able to make. And then people, if he runs for reelection next year, they should be able to decide how big a deal that is. Will will it stop here? No. Subpoenas are going to go out. The matter is going to get adjudged in the courts. I don't know if President Trump wins or not. But to me, there's so much more important things going on in this world regardless of of what President Trump's income was in 2013. And I wish we could be talking about that stuff instead of, gee, let's let's see what Trump paid and how much his earnings were in 2014. I understand that there's an effort to embarrass him. Candidly, let's talk about policies, because my guess is you can find enough legitimate issues in criticizing him for some of his policies. It's 254. When we come back, we're going to find out what John McCure has on his mind on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.